0: Great great thought how deeply God the Father loves you and I. And God the Father would let God the Son die in my place and yours. What a great, great truth. Have your Bible now. Hold your Bible up for me real good. I want you to hold it up. Hold it up high. I got the Word of God. I like to see people bringing their Bibles to the house of God. Have you been reading your Bible this week? Keep holding it up. Well, you're reading your Bible. It's a good thing. If you haven't been, keep reading it. Keep reading. Have your Bible now. Open with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. The Epistle of Romans, chapter three. Romans chapter three. When you find verse ten, if you're physically able to do so, it invites you to stand to your feet with me, please, out of the respect of God's word. Romans chapter three, verse ten. I'm going to read through verse eighteen. It's a fairly familiar passage of scripture. And then I'm going to take one of those verses for a text verse and try to preach to you something that God really burdened my heart with this week. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, where their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 18 is the text verse for this morning. I'd like for us to read it together. You ready? There is no fear of God before their eyes. I'm going to take that little phrase in the middle of that verse that says, no fear of God. And I'm going to preach on that subject this morning with God's help. No fear of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be able to come out and have this time. We'd be together in the house. Father, we've enjoyed the blessing of God in the Sunday school hour. Lord, we've been blessed by our fellowship together in the singing of the songs of Zion. And now we've come to this portion of the service and the bread of life has been broken. I have a message. And I believe most assuredly you gave me for this hour. But as I stand here before thy people in thy house, I am very well aware of my inability and, oh dear God, of my unworthiness to be here. And so, dear Jesus, I would ask you that once again you'd cleanse me of the precious blood of Calvary. Please cleanse me of my sin and where I have failed you. Make me a vessel fit for thy service this morning. Please use me for your glory. Holy Ghost, I pray you'd fill me with power and unction. I can preach in such a manner that every person under the sound of my voice, whether here or somewhere else listening, would feel this message is for them and them alone. May the lost be saved. May the saved be challenged. May the backslid be reclaimed. And most importantly and above all things, may Jesus Christ be uplifted and glorified. For it is in his precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, to begin to deal with my heart about this text, this passage of Scripture this week. Begin to think much about it and the principles involved in here. If you look at this third chapter of the book of Romans, it is comparing Gentiles and Jews. It starts off by giving in verses 1 and 2 the great uh, glory of the Jews, that unto them were given the oracles of God. Thank God that that God gave the Bible through the Jewish nation. We have the Word of God. But then he says that there's no difference between them and us, between the Jews and the Gentiles. That we're all sinners and we have all come short of the glory of God. We all are in need of salvation. When you come to verse number ten, it really, really begins to bear this truth. When it says, "For all uh, there, uh, excuse me, for there is none righteous, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one." There's a great truth in that. There's none of us today that are righteous or can say that we are righteous. And then it begins this great description, and this description describes us as human beings. And then in verse number 18, there is really an indictment when it simply says there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, honestly, as we look at all of this, we begin to think as Christians, well, that's that is not really applying to us. But the book of Romans is written to Christians, it's written to believers. Now, now we use the Book of Romans in winning people to Christ. Nothing wrong with that. We should do that. It's a great avenue of taking the Scripture. But it's written to believers. It's written to you and I. It is written about the world. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So, what is the Word of God saying today about there is no fear of God before their eyes? We're wanting revival in our nation. We're seeking revival. We often say that we're in trouble as a country, and we are, and we, we need God's moving and God's power in our midst. We need revival. But if it's going to start with you and I, and that's where it starts, judgment must begin at the house of God, then we must also recognize this truth. There is no fear of God before our eyes. What does it mean, no fear of God? Now I want you to open your Bible with me to Proverbs 1. And in Proverbs 1, we are going to examine this thing of the fear of God. What does it mean, there is no fear of God before their eyes? What what is it that I am to have a fear of God? What does that mean? What does it mean if you are to have a fear of God? What does that mean? What is God saying that I lack and you lack when He says there is no fear of God before their eyes? What are we lacking? And I'm going to take three scriptures out of the book of Proverbs and get a definition of the fear of God. You're in Proverbs 1, look down if you will... In verse number seven. And the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Number one, the fear of the Lord is the notice it says the beginning of knowledge. There is no real understanding of who God is until you you have a fear of Him and His power and His omnipotence. And his glory, and it's the beginning of knowledge. All right, now what does that mean? Knowledge of what? Well, look if you will in chapter three, chapter three, and down in uh, uh, verse uh, chapter three and verse number seven, and we're going to see something else here. And it says, "Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord." and depart from evil. All right. now if I'm going to fear the Lord, and if it is the beginning of knowledge, then it means I need to recognize what is evil. Not only recognize it, and say, that's sinful, that's wicked, that is evil, I need to then depart from that. You see, I I really don't have any fear of God before my eyes if I notice something and say, that's wrong. That's sinful. That's destructive. And I still partake of it. I I really don't fear God. I'm really not fearing who God is and what could happen. And and so the fear of the Lord is, number one, the beginning of knowledge. And number two, it is to to recognize evil and depart from that. Now then, look over, if you will, in chapter 8 and verse number uh, 13 of the book of Proverbs, the 8th proverb and verse number 13. Now, now here is a little more descriptive definition. And, and, and this is the fear of the Lord. And it says this, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Well, every once in a while we as Christians need to be reminded that just as much as God is a God of love, God is a God of hatred. Just as much as God loves that you and I will never comprehend the love of God, there are some things that God hates that's just as deep as the love that He has. And and notice in in this verse, uh, He he ties those two things together. and, And it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance and the evil way, the froward mouth. And then God said, "Do I hate that?" Now I, I want you to notice that the fear of the Lord then, it is knowledge to, to recognize evil and depart from it. The, the fear of the Lord is, is to, to hate wickedness. Now by the way, we, we can hate sin and love sinners. But we ought to hate sin. And, and, and all sin revolves around pride and arrogancy. Uh, that, that we, and by the way, we get in trouble with that. We, we get prideful and we do not recognize or acknowledge or deal with our own sin. We get very prideful about that and very arrogant about that. We get very self-righteous about that. And, and so if, if there is no fear of God before our eyes, then what are we missing? Well, we're missing this to where that is the beginning of knowledge to hate evil and depart from it and, and, and to hate the evil way, pride, arrogancy, and, and, and the forward mouth. Now, there's something else about the fear of God. Every once in a while, I hear people say, well, you know, I just, this is just the way I am. Now, hold on a minute. The fear of the Lord is something else. It is something I choose for my life. It is something you choose for your life. Or it is something you decide not to do. So you're in Proverbs, go back to the first proverb. Proverbs 1. Look down in verse number 29. I I want you to notice something. Proverbs 1.29, I want you to notice a truth here. For they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. I want you to notice they had a choice in it. They, they knew what God wanted done. They knew what God said was right and wrong. And they chose... I don't want none of that. I don't want to fear God. I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to let God control my life. I do not fear God. Now I've got one more verse and I'll have the introduction pretty well in, in, in place. Open your Bibles, New Testament text, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. Now, in Acts chapter 9, we're going to see something about the church, the early church in Jerusalem there. Now, now this is after the stoning of Stephen. This is after some great persecution has taken place and some other things have, have taken place. And, and you're going to find the church now has been in prayer meetings and they've been seeking God and they've been trying to put God first. And something happens in Acts chapter 9... And I want to read verse number 31. It says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. Now stop just a minute. They, they've been in great persecution. They've been scattered hither and yon. Uh, and, and now they have rest. But now, having rest doesn't mean they're just sitting on their hands. What does it mean? Let's go back to the verse. And walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. It did, they wasn't just sitting around. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. The church was. The churches, those called out body of believers in every city, were walking in the fear of the Lord. By the way, they had the comfort of the Holy Ghost. (coughs) They had power. But it was all revolved around the fear of the Lord. There's a truth in that. Now, I don't want you to answer me out loud, but do you fear the Lord? Is your life controlled by the fear of God? He said, preacher, I, 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 I love God. I, I, I understand that. Do you fear God? Is the fear of God the beginning of knowledge? Do, do, do you hate the evil way and pride and arrogancy and forward mouth? And do, do, you, do you fear God? You see, I'm afraid that we don't fear God. I know that we do not fear God as people. I know that the, the nation, we have as our national motto, One Nation Under God, and I really wish that were true. I have nothing against the motto. I like the motto. But the truth of the matter is, we as a nation do not fear God. If we feared God as a nation, there is a lot of things that would not take place in this nation. And that's just a fact. We do not fear God as churches. And there's a lot of things that would not take place in churches. I'm afraid that we do not fear God as Christians, or there's a lot of things that would not take place in our homes. And we do not fear God as Christians individually. There's not a lot of things that would not take place in our individual lives. So do we fear God? Now before I get into the points, I want to give you an example in the Bible of some people that did not fear God. And I want you to open your Bible to Psalm 2. Now the second Psalm that we have in our Bible that God gave David has 12 verses in it. The first nine verses talk about those that do not fear God. The last three verses tell us how to choose the fear of God. And, and so you and I need to look at this example, and we need to notice what it said. And so begin reading in verse 1. Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed say. Now the question comes is, why do they do this? Why do the heathen rage? And why do they take counsel? And they they take counsel and say, "We don't want to do what God says do, and we don't like His anointed, God's people." Now, what's what they say they're going to do in verse three and four? Or verse three: Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. They say we 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 don't want to be under their, their control. We want to break it and cast it. What are they talking about? The Word of God. What? What? Uh, what is the bands? The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Why do you think people rage against it when they see the Ten Commandments posted somewhere? Because they don't like what it says. Why, why do you think they rage against the Word of God being taken into our schools and read? Because they rage against the bands and controls of it. Why why do you think that people get angry over Jesus being mentioned? Because they hate Him. And they want to cast it far from them. What's God going to do about all that? Well, look what God does in verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. You got a wrong impression of an almighty, powerful God if you think He sits in the heavens and cries and has a pity party for Himself when you're against Him. If you think that God up in heaven is feeling sorry for Himself whenever that mankind throws away the Word of God and mankind goes against God, whether it's a nation, a state, whether it's a City, a church, a family, or an individual. If you think God up in heaven is having some sort of bad day whenever you decide you're not going to serve God, you don't understand God at all. What does he do? He laughs. Why does he laugh? We'll keep reading the verse. He that setteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. You know what God does whenever somebody says, I don't want the Bible to rule me. I don't want to do what God says to do. God laughs about it. Because He knows what He's about to do. You see, there's no fear of God because we, we don't have a clue as to what God's going to do when we don't fear God. He's going to have them in derision. What does that mean? We'll keep reading, verse 5. Then shall he speak of them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. God says, I tell you what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to punish you. Ways you can't even imagine. Verse 6, yet if I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion... I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thy inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. There again he just says that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and God the Father has given to God the Son the whole earth and it belongs to Him. What's He going to do with it? Verse 9, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces as a potter's vessel. Understand something, God is God. You and I are in trouble. I'm afraid as Christians we don't really see God as powerful, almighty God, but He is. The truth of the matter is, this morning there's no fear of God before their eyes, that's why the, all kinds of things are going on, it should not be going on. People that say, well, I know who God is. I believe in God and I love the Lord. But there's no fear of God in their life that is evident. Now, I've got a choice. What I need to do is verse 10 through 11, 12. Be wise now, therefore, you kings, and be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled. But a little blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Hey, here's the great truth. I need to choose Him. The fear of the Lord. I need to choose His instruction. By the way, this is the only instruction He's ever given us. I need to choose Him. I need to kiss the Son. I need to love the Son and choose Jesus. Now this morning, I don't want you to answer me out loud, but do you fear God? Do you really fear God? I mean... How often this week did you ask yourself, is this what God wants me to do? Or did you just do it? How often this week did you consult the Word of God and say, is this how God would have me to live? This is the attitude God would have me to have? These are the actions that God would have me to have? Or did you just do it? You see, when I have a fear of God, I'm weighing my actions and my attitudes because I know who God is. When I have no fear of God before my eyes, I'm doing what I think is best. I'm doing what feels good to me. I'm doing what satisfies Mike's flesh. By the way, so are you. And there's no fear of God before their eyes. And by the way, God, God doesn't deal with us very well when we don't fear Him. He 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 deals with us in judgment. And so there's some things I jotted down. There's some things I jotted down about fearing God. Number one, we do not fear God in life. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, you have your Bible. I want you to open it with me, Will, to Matthew chapter 6. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Now, we're about two-thirds through the Sermon on the Mount at the end of that chapter, and I want to get one verse. It's a familiar verse. I could have quoted the verse, and most of you... You've been saved for any length of time. You probably could have quoted it with me, but but I want you to understand something about the fear of God in Matthew six thirty three. It's a great verse. We quote it often, and it says, "But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you." Now, in all honesty, what did you and I seek this week? You say, "Preacher, I'm at the house of God. Wonderful." But what did we seek? Did we actually seek God first? Now, all of these things, he's talking about food, clothing, shelter. He's talking about the necessities, the basic things of life. Things that you and I have to have. He says, put God above that. Now, the truth of the matter is, most of us do not do that. That's how come that we serve God if I've got time. If my family don't need me. If, uh, you understand? There's no fear of God and I do that. It, it, this is a commandment from Jesus. And Jesus says, Mike, I want you to put me first. You say, well, you're a preacher. It has zero to do with me being a preacher. It is because I'm a Christian. And God says to me, hey Mike, you're my child. I want to be first in your life. I want to be above Elizabeth. I want to be above your house. I want to be above your children. I want to be above everything in life. I want you to seek me first. Well, see, right there, most of us die because we're not going to do that. We're going to put something else first. And when we satisfy our families, And when we satisfy our desires, and when we satisfy our pleasures, and when we get satisfied, if there's any time left or any space left, that is where I put God. No fear of God. By the way, it's not new. Go to Haggai chapter 1 with me, please. Old Testament text, the book of Haggai. Back just a little bit. It's not far back from the book of Matthew. It shouldn't take you far to find it. Back just a little bit. Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, they didn't fear God in life either. While you're turning, let me give you a little background of this. Haggai chapter 1 is the children of Israel had been sold into bondage for 70 years. 90% of them were killed in that because of their rejection of God and Now they're coming back into the land of uh, Israel and they're rebuilding Jerusalem and they're rebuilding the the, the temple and they're serving God. This is a remnant that has been saved and coming back and they're to serve God, uh, but they are putting themselves first. Verse 3 of Haggai chapter 1. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for ye, you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? He said, Is it time for you to build your houses and let my house lie? Really? Is it time for you to serve yourself and not me? Verse 5, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He said, think about how you're living. Think about who you fear. Now watch the next verse. You have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but have not enough. Ye drink, but are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages, to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. God says, why do you think that's happening? Why do you think that's happening? Why do you think that life is so hard? And why do you think that that things are so struggling? Why do you think all the problems come about you? Why do you think that's there? Consider your ways. It's because of who you're fearing and who you're putting first. And what does he tell them to do? Look in verse 9. Excuse me, verse 8. Go up to the mountain. And bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure and I'll be glorified, saith the Lord. He says, now listen, you know what you need to do? You need to take a little vacation and go to the mountain and cut down timber. Boy, it doesn't sound like much for vacation. You need to cut down the wood, bring it down, build my house, and then I'll be glorified. You know what God's saying in verse 8? You know what you need to do? You need to get busy serving me. You need to put me first. You need to put your other things aside and go up into the mountain and cut down the wood and come down and build this house and I'll take pleasure in you serving me. I keep reading. Notice what it says. Then in verse 9, You look for much, and lo, it came to little, and when he brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man into his own house? Every once in a while deal, people say, I just don't understand why things are not going good with my family. Well, are you putting God first or putting them first? Are you putting God first or are you putting self first? Well, who are you putting first? God says, I tell you what, you leave my house out, And I'll blow on you and I'll give you strife and I'll give you trouble and I'll cause you problems. You know why? Because there's no fear of God in life. We just live life and we don't put God first. We put God way down the list. And if there's time, we give it to God. And if not, we just do what we want. And then we struggle and have all kinds of problems and we don't have the peace and don't have the power. And we wonder why. It's because God's not blessing. Now keep reading. Next verse. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I call for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the earth corn, and upon all the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon uh, that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the ants. God said, You know why you're having all that problems? Because I brought it to you. You know Why? Because you had no fear of God in life. You know what's wrong with our country? Take one part of our country is drying up and blowing away and the other part's being washed away and we can't figure out why God's not blessing this and why God's not blessing our... why we have all the problems and the turmoils. It's because who are we fearing? No fear of God before ours. Now I'm talking about God's people. It's evident we don't fear it. Because we put... Things above God. I cannot say I fear God in life if He's not first. I can't. I can't say I fear God if Elizabeth's first. Now, I love Elizabeth. and She loves me. But when we were dating, we made clear, I don't want her to put me first. I want her to put God first. If she puts God first, she'll treat me better than she did if she puts me first. She'll never be dissatisfied with God, and she'll be dissatisfied with me pretty quickly if she puts me first. And the truth of the matter is, there has to be something that you fear God. God said, I want to be first, all right? Put me first. And you know what? You put God first, He made the promise, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and I'll give you all these other things. You do not put God first, He'll take it away from you. Great truth. Number two, not only do we not fear God in life, we don't fear God in morality. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13 with me, please. We, we're in trouble in our country. We, we're in trouble in our churches. We do not fear God in morality. We have made up our own minds as what is right and wrong. And, and and what God will bless and what God will not bless. And there's no real fear of God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 4, I chose this verse, and God dealt my heart about this verse, and I want you to notice what it says. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Now, I, I want you to notice that there, God says... You have no fear of God before me in morality. It is unbelievable to me how that in my lifetime, it has changed the perception of Christian people in what it is for people to be sexually impure. It's amazing. I, I remember when I was a teenager in high school, if somebody shacked up and lived together, and by the way, that's what it is. Now they call it cohabitation and all kinds of other slick little terms, trying to act like it's okay. And it's not okay. It's never been okay. It's not okay now. And it'll never be okay in God's eyes. I don't care what society says about it. But whenever I was a teenager, it was really frowned upon in a real bad way. And now it's glorified. And I'm not talking about by the world. I expect heathen people, they're lost and on their way to hell, and don't believe the Bible, to not think it's okay. Uh, But I don't expect that out of God's people. There's no fear of God in, before our eyes and morality. And, and I thought about this a lot. I thought, what has changed? And I'll tell you what has changed. I, it has changed that parents have children that grow up and do what they want to, and parents then have to acquiesce and agree with their kids. I thought about this a little bit. I'm about to get in trouble here, but I guess I'm right. y'all are real quiet. I'm in trouble already, I can I tell it. I, I remember, I had not been out of high school long, and a couple of kids that we went to high school together with. By the way, both of them claimed to be saved. They came to Bible studies that we had outside of things there. And they moved in together and lived together. Wicked. And the girl's mother threw the housewarming share for her. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. The Bible is clear on this. What are you all doing? You're, you're advocating it. You're acting like it's okay. I thought to myself, my goodness, if I'd done something like that, my daddy would throw a housewarming shower and he'd burn the house that I'm living in. And he wouldn't tolerate it and he wouldn't add, act like it's okay. And, and he wouldn't act it to everybody like it's okay. He wouldn't. Somehow or another, we've come to the point that we act like it's okay. Not to God. God says, I'm going to judge that. And the only reason that people do that is there's no fear of God. Listen, Elizabeth and I dated for a long time, six years and three months and 24 days and 23 hours. Now, and that's accurate, but anyhow. We were still pure when we got married. Now, there was a reason behind that. Listen, we're, we're human beings and tempted the same temptation as everybody else. She's a pretty girl. <laughs> I have a healthy fear of God. So does she. You understand that? A healthy fear of God. How all kinds of freedom. Could have done anything you wanted to do. We had a fear of God. And the reason that these folks live in adultery and fornication, is there's really no fear of God. The reason that we have these folks that are living in homosexuality and this transgender junk, is there's no fear of God. If there was a fear of God... Listen, people say, well, we, we just we love each other. Well, then get married and straighten it out. Do the right thing. How hard is my playhouse? By the way, parents, say that to your kids. Say that to your grandkids. You can say them, I love you, but I will never approve of that. You can say that. Because they need to hear someone say it. They need to hear someone that says, I fear God, and that is wrong. And God is going to judge you for that. You can love them and still have compassion, and stand your firm ground. And we, There's no fear of God before their eyes. There's no fear of God in life. There's no fear of God in morality. There's no fear of God in death. You say, what do you mean by that? What do you mean there's no fear of God in death? Well, I want you to see something. You're in the book of Hebrews. Go to the book of James. You might not have to turn just one page or so. James chapter 1, I want you to know something. There's no fear of God in life. There's no fear of God in morality. You can't say you fear God and do what God says don't do. There's no fear of God in death. James chapter 1 verse number 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted to evil, neither tempting any man. By the way, let me run a quick rabbit trail here. God never causes someone to do something that He says is wrong. It's a great truth. God, God's not the author of confusion. He did not create a man that should be a woman, or a woman that should be a man. God didn't create that confusion. And God did not tempt him that way. And God does not tempt you with adultery. And God does not tempt you with wickedness. Do you understand that? So what happens is verse 14. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. I'm tempted at Mike's lust, and you're tempted with your lust. Now watch this. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin was finished, it bringeth forth death. If we really feared God, God really feared Him, we would understand that our sin, we would not accommodate it and say, Well, everybody's doing it. Everybody is being punished we would not make excuses for it because we would recognize that my sin is going to cause me trouble and your sin is going to cause you trouble. It always brings forth death. It always brings destruction. Always. One thing and I'm done. Not only do we not fear God in life, we don't fear God in morality, we don't fear God in death, nor do we fear God in judgment. You sound those last two things the same? No, I don't think so. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 12 with me. I want to show you something. This in Matthew chapter 12 is really one of the first verses God gave me in this message. In Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 34 through 37. And, and I want you to notice how Jesus deals with people. And Do I fear God? Do you fear God? There's no fear of God before most of our eyes. We don't fear God in life. We don't fear God in death. We don't fear God in morality. And I'm afraid we don't fear God in judgment. Now watch this. Verse 34. Oh, generation of vipers, how would you like it if you're sitting under the influence and preaching of the lovely Lord Jesus, and He looks out and He calls you. He doesn't say, Oh, dear lovely children, I'm glad to have you here today. You bunch of snakes! That's what He just said to us. Do you understand that? O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh? A good man, now the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. An evil man, now the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. From by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. By the way, if I fear God, I'm going to measure how much I talk. Someday, i got to give an account for what I say. By the way, not what you say. What I say. Every idle Word. As I was going through this message, and I thought, "Oh dear, Jesus, help me to keep my mouth shut." Unless I'm encouraging somebody, unless I'm lifting up somebody, I hear people say all the time, "Well, you know what they did." Now, this is true. I'm not gossiping. No, it's idle words, and you don't need to be speaking it. If it's, I don't care if it is true. It don't affect me. It don't affect you. Why do we? Why do we think we have to talk about it? Why? we're in more trouble than we've ever been. Used to, you had to at least find somebody to talk to them. Now you just open up your computer, your phone, and you get on there and you tell the world. Someday you got to give an account to Jesus for that. Man, that, ought to, that that slows me down. Why is that? Fear of God, i I got I to gotta give an account of that someday. I've got to give an account of how I talk about people. I've got to give an account of how I run people down. I've got to give an account about that. I've got to give an account to it. And so do you. And if you feared God, it would slow you down. But we don't fear God. So we just blab on. I'm about done. I want you to notice something in Revelation chapter 20. Because there is no fear of God before our eyes, many people are dying and going to hell. We got children dying and going to hell. We got parents and grandparents and moms and dads dying and going to hell. Because we don't understand, one of these days we're going to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11 says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and the other book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Now I want you to notice something. If I feared God, that day will control my life. It controlled how I dress. It controlled how I act. It controlled how I, what I listen to. It can control where I go. It can control what I do. Because someday, and I realize this is the judgment of the lost people, I'm going to stand and watch family and friends go to hell. And my life will be judged harsher there than any judgment could ever have been judged. If I fear God, I'm going to stay faithful to God if nobody else does. My kids need to see somebody that stays faithful. My grandkids need to see somebody that stays faithful. My neighbors need to see somebody that stays faithful. My family needs to see somebody that stays faithful. Because I'll guarantee you, Your house won't matter one lick at that day. Not with your car, not with your career, not with your pleasure. You ought to go home today and think, what am I going to think about at the judgment if my grandkids are thrown in hell? What am I going to think about at judgment? Am I going to be glad that I wasn't faithful to God then? Am I going to be happy that I... Didn't serve God if I lose my best friend, if I lose my family. No fear of God. And when Christians don't fear God, lost people don't fear God either. And if lost people don't fear God, they have no reason to be saved. And they will go to hell. And you and I as Christians are going to carry the brunt of that. Because there's no fear of God before our eyes. And there ought to be fear. And I ought to choose it every morning when my eyes pop open. Dear God up in heaven, help me serve you today. Not me, not people, but you. You say, if I did that, I wouldn't help nobody. By the way, God tells me to love Elizabeth like like I'm supposed to love the church. So you know what? Like He loves the church. You know something? If I do, I can't do that. It's not possible for me to love her as much as He loves the church. That means I'd love her more than if I put her first. God tells me how to love my children. If I put God first, I'll take care of my children. Do, do you not understand? You're not going to miss nothing in life. You're just going to have God's blessing in your life when you put Him first. And if you don't put Him first, you have God's judgment. What have you chose? Do you really fear God? Are you saved this morning? Listen, if you're gonna if you if I came back to you and got you by the hand and asked you if you died right now would you go to heaven, and you say, well, you know, I'm thinking about it. There's no fear of God there. Well, maybe uh, there's no fear of God there. You ought to come this morning. And let us show you how to be saved. You'll be saved. Listen, hey, Christian, hey, 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 man. That's a husband, a father, a grandfather. Why don't you decide to be a man and fear God if nobody else does? Hey lady, a mom, grandmother. grandmother, don't you, wife? Why don't you decide to fear God and lead your household the way God expects you to be as a wife in a fear of God? Why don't we decide we're going to fear God? and that cannot be said about you and I because we chose the fear. By the way, it's one or the other. I'm either walking in the fear of God or I'm walking in Mike's lust. One or the other. There's no in-between. No fear of God before our eyes. Every head bowed and every eye closed.